Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. What would you give it all away for? All right, imagine if you made it, uh, if you got that thing that you're after, money, success, fame, a quiet life, whatever it is that you're kind of, you know, gunning for at this moment in your life, if you got it, could you give it all away? What would you give it all away for? Um, you hear those stories, don't you? Um, like the Citibank VP, um, this guy who, uh, uh, he, he was the Citibank VP, he quit at age 34, and he now gives away 90% of his wealth uh, to the destitute and wears Christmas jumpers all year round. That's what he does. Um, or Tracy Trinitar, this supermodel who um, had it all, um, the first uh, supermodel uh, for Indonesia. She had the looks, the money, the fame, but she gave it all up to become a student again and eat cafeteria food. Um, she gave it all away. What would you give it all away for? What would you give it all away for? That's what the Magi did for Jesus. And we're going to have a think about the Magi, those wise men. They um, left the comforts of home. They probably resigned from their jobs. They traversed the known world. They might have missed their own kids' birthdays to give their riches to a child they'd never met. Imagine. This famous account of the Magi or the wise men, uh, they're probably ast- astrologers. Uh, it's unique to Matthew's account of Jesus' life. He records it because, well, because it happened, but also because it gives us a glimpse into what those events mean. Now, the Magi were never at the birth of Jesus. They weren't at the kind of stable. So I took the wise men away from the stable in our house the other day, and my wife was like, where are the wise men? Where have they gone? I said, I've moved them. They weren't at the stable. You know, she got a little bit annoyed. Um, but while Jesus was still an infant, um, probably living in a village in Bethlehem, The wise men come to Jerusalem, the capital, and they're asking for, where's the king? Now, if you walk into a palace asking, where's the king, the person on the throne might be a little bit upset, right? Um, And we're told, um, the text records one of the great understatements of the Bible, Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And history tells us that Herod the Great was a particularly violent ruler, even by first century standards. Um, He killed many in his own court. He murdered one of his wives and three of his own sons. So concerned to protect his own power. And so when the Magi inquire about this new king, um, Herod summons the Bible scholars. And he finds out that the promised king, the Messiah, is going to be born in this little village of Bethlehem. Um, from a prophecy in Micah. So he tells the Magi, you go find him and you send word so that I too may go and worship him. Of course, Herod only wants to kill him. (laughs) And when God warns the Magi in a dream, Herod realises he's been tricked and his solution to that is to slaughter all the boys under the age of two in the region of Bethlehem. Maybe 20 or 30 children it was. Jesus, who escapes this genocide, begins life as a refugee driven out of his homeland. Um, They probably went to uh, Alexandria, one of the Egyptian cities where there was a Jewish expat community. Jesus probably learned to walk in Egypt. And friends, by the way, if there's no place in your heart for refugees, there's no place in your life for Jesus. He was born and raised a refugee. So it's interesting, isn't it? Um, Here's the first Christmas, and it's not just like that sweet smell of the newborn baby. 
It's like the stench of blood in the history of the first Christmas. God's son is born into a world where there are lies and fear and bloodshed and injustice and refugees and men clinging to power. And isn't it interesting that the news of this first Christmas was threatening to the status quo? Matthew 2 verse 3, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now Matthew's kind of... um, uh, able to honour Herod and say, Herod the king. But think right, Herod the king is threatened by baby Jesus. Little baby Jesus, what a threat. But you see, if you're desperate to be the king and someone else comes along claiming they're the king, one of you's got to give in. <laughs> there can only be one absolute ruler. And the message of Christmas is there's a new king on the throne And the carols say, let earth receive her king. Jesus, God's king, come to us. But we know that Herod was merciless with any rivals, and that's probably why the rest of Jerusalem was so worried. They knew what Herod was like. But of course, Herod's efforts to cement his power failed. His dynasty lasted one or two generations. His, um, His palace, all that's left of it today, is this. That's the courtyard of his, this kind of ostentatious grand palace that Herod once built. That's all that's left. And meanwhile, this weekend, a few billion people are celebrating the birth of the baby he tried to erase from history. Except one of the reasons that Matthew records Herod's resistance to this new King Jesus it's because Herod's resistance is a little foretaste of a lot of people's resistance to Jesus as the biography, the Gospels, unfold. Or in other words, the resistance to God's king lives in the human heart, not just Herod's heart. All of us are a little bit allergic to Christmas, There's parts of it that you might kind of not like with the kitsch or some of the family reunions or whatever, but all of us are allergic to something about at the very heart of the Christmas message where it says there's a new ruler in town. And all the carols are saying, um, you know, come and worship him. But the catch is we all prefer to run life my way on my terms. I've got to admit, I, I don't even like someone else driving the car. Like, I kind of get all twitchy, you know, and I'm like holding on extra tight and I'm kind of muttering under my breath, you know, what the, how they should be driving the car. In our culture, in kind of, you know, modern Australian society, you can tell from the ads you see on TV, but we're, we're like allergic to lock-in contracts, whether it's a mobile phone or a marriage. We just kind of don't want to quash our freedom. We infuriate colleagues uh, by micromanaging them at times. Parents crush their kids by trying to control them. Um, People retreat into video games at times because there's a little world I can control. Sometimes we can do awful things because we're trying to control other people and protect our own little kingdoms. None of us want to give up our control, even, especially, to God. And to God's King, Jesus. But every year we come and we sing these carols, and every year Christmas is inviting us to recognize the one true King. 
to reorient our lives around him again. Like the carols say, come and worship the newborn king. Let earth receive her king, the one who is God and Lord of all. Recognize him. God's inviting us to, to welcome Jesus, to worship Jesus, not just, not just as an accessory, but as our authority over our lives. That's what the Magi do. Uh, when they saw the child, verse 11, they fell down and they worshipped him. And then it says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They give Jesus their wealth and their worship and probably the best years of their lives. But here's the kicker. And friends, if we can just say, put it like this, you've never understood Christianity until you get this bit. You ready? They gave Jesus their wealth and their worship, their autonomy and their authority. They gave it all up gladly. They gave it up gladly. Have a look at verse 10, uh, if you can see there in the dark. Uh, but verse 10, it says, when, when the Magi saw the guiding star and they knew it, they were about to see the toddler king, we're told when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's completely over the top, right? I mean, rejoice is, that's good. Rejoiced exceedingly is enough. And then he adds, with great joy. It's like a New Testament way of saying, they're, they're pretty happy, you know. Overflowing with joy. They do it gladly. So, so here's the question, right? You've got you to gotta ask, you've got to get this bit. What treasure would make you give up your treasure? What is it that is so good that you want to give it up. Because, friends, if Christianity to you is only ever duty and not joy, if, if this is just kind of something you have to do, maybe you've been dragged along tonight, or maybe, you know, oh, look, I've just got to kind of pay my dues once a year. Friends, um, if that's kind of how you feel about this, there's something you're missing at the heart of Christianity. Because the Magi see in Jesus a treasure that means that they just want to, they gladly give up their treasure. All the stuff that's already... Well, Matthew gives us all the hints here in chapter 2. Although, of course, it'd be good to kind of read to the end of the story, wouldn't it? But there's enough hints here in what we've read. So for starters, they're Magi. Okay? And they are invited to visit Jesus at his birth by divine invitation. Like God puts the star in the sky. Now, the Magi were probably astrologers. At home in Persia or Babylon, wherever it was in the east, they would have been respected intellectuals. But in ancient Israel, if you're an astrologer, you're a heretic, an idolater. You would never have been allowed in. And yet, God deliberately gives them a front row seat to Jesus' birth. Plus, they're pagans. They're, they're people of the nations. They're Gentiles, the, the Goyim. They're, they're not Jews. So God's invitation list to, let's say it's Jesus' second birthday party, right? It's a, it's a bit after his birth. He doesn't invite, it's, it's not the Jerusalem priests. They actually don't seem very interested. It's these Gentile pagans, the ones you wouldn't expect. And then the whole reason that this narrative kind of takes that tragic, murderous turn is because 
Jesus wasn't born in the capital. He was born in Bethlehem, in the backwater. Now, often we don't listen to people if they're not from the right city, if they're not from the right university, if they're not from the right family. We, we don't kind of, you know, take what they say seriously. But God has Jesus very deliberately born in Bethlehem, little village, nowhere, to kind of, yes, to fulfill prophecy, but also to humble the aristocracy. So try and take in the whole scene, right? There's an unmarried couple that everyone's a bit suspicious about. There's, at the birth, there's these shepherds invited by the angels, and they're kind of, you know, working class, not respected at all. Um, And then later on, the star invites these pagan intellectuals, all the people you would never expect and would never deserve are given a seat at the royal birth. Now, there was some big news last week at Windsor Castle. I don't know if you, uh, you saw this, but um, Prince Harry's uh, new fiance, who is? Come on. You, at least some of you know. Anyway, she was invited to the Queen's Christmas lunch. <gasps> Shock horror. You know why? She, no one has ever been invited when they're just engaged before that only, you know, even Catherine, you know, Kate, um, she wasn't invited until she was married and wed and officially part of the family. But somehow Meghan Markle was invited to this cosy affair with 900 of the Queen's staff. But never mind. Actually, so forget that bit. Um, Tomorrow, Christmas Day, she is going to be invited, so supposedly, to the Queen's Christmas lunch with, like, the immediate family in Sandringham Estate or wherever it is, something that Kate Middleton was never invited to until she was married. And um, the bouncers will be there with all the guards, keeping everyone else out, but she's in. It's fascinating, isn't it? Um, I, I figure... Um, Megan Markle must be at least a little bit chuffed, right? A little bit. Christmas lunch with the Queen. Um, I know she's American, but still, you know, the Queen. Um, Immediate family only. That is an event that you could not buy your way into. Like, you could be a billionaire. You're not getting into, you know, the royal lunch with the Queen. Now, that first Christmas, there's a royal birth. And the people that God very deliberately invites are the people who could never belong, who would never deserve to be there, and could never pay. In fact, people who've offended God, they're astrologers, idolaters. People who are far from God, God invites in, very deliberately. God invites the people who, who could never deserve it because Jesus, Jesus is coming, because none of us deserve it. And where other religions might say, you know, try and kind of find the strength within and and be the best you can. And hey, if we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. Christmas says, "Uh uh-uh, not really. It's so bad that God has to come to save us because we can't fix and save it ourselves. Now, you know, I suspect it won't cost the queen anything to fit one more at the table. It's not going to be a fuss. But for you and I to be invited to sit at God's table as forgiven people cost Jesus everything. And you see, friends, that's the key. If you get a glimpse of that, that, that you could never deserve, 
where you never deserve to belong, Jesus has made you belong. That Jesus left the palace of heaven so that you could be invited into heaven. That Jesus was rejected on the cross so that you can be accepted and have a seat in, at the royal table forever. See, friends, when you see that, you will know that you found the treasure, the treasure in Jesus that can make you give up your treasure and do it gladly. That's something the Magi had never found in all the religions and astrology and stars. They'd never found it until they found Jesus. So what would you give it all away for? It's hard to give up control, even to God. It's hard to give away your treasures, even though actually they all belong to God. But Christmas is here to tell us Jesus is God's king. He deserves your everything. But why? Why? Because Jesus has already given up everything so that we who could never deserve to belong have a seat at God's table and a place in God's royal family forever. If you're here out of duty, can I urge you to just ponder this Christmas? What is it that the Christians think is so wonderful? Even just as a public service announcement, be worth kind of trying to understand what is it that the Christians think is so wonderful and so joyful that you'd want to give it all up for Jesus? What is that? Maybe you're already a Christian. Can I ask, how are you using your treasures? How are you giving Jesus everything to the one who gave himself for you? And friends, if you're someone who's kind of, kind of on the edge of handing control of your life over to Jesus and you need to, need to know more, or what does that look like? You know, it's interesting, actually, the Magi, the star gets them started, but they need the scriptures, the Bible, to get them to Jesus. And it's like that for us as well. At this church, we'd love to help you um, in January in some things that we've got coming up to look at the Bible and together see what does it look like to give Jesus your everything. The Magi, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy as they gave away their treasures to Jesus. And friends, you can do that too. You can give it all away gladly for Jesus when you know that Jesus gave it away gladly for you. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, this holy night, as we remember the birth of Jesus, we thank you that he came for us who could never deserve, who could never belong, but that you, that you have invited in by grace. Father, we confess that we could not save ourselves, and so we thank you that you sent Jesus to save us. And Father, uh, whoever we are tonight, would you give us a greater glimpse of Jesus, of his kindness to us, of what a treasure he is, and all that he has done, that we might be welcomed into your family. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St. Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.